I want to ask you at this time to be turning in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 61. As you're turning to Isaiah 61, we'll, we'll also be looking at another passage here in just a moment uh, from Luke chapter 4. We're going to turn to it quickly, so if you want to go ahead and have maybe your finger slide the bulletin in Luke chapter 4, we're going to go to that quickly. But as you're turning to Isaiah 61, I want to, I want to ask you a, a question. We're, we're relaxed this morning. We've got folks in their PJs, well, children in their PJs, so I, I, I can ask a question this morning. Do you think that this is an easy sermon to be preached? Christmas morning, celebrating the birth of our Lord. If you've been coming to church regularly throughout your life or if you show up on Christmas morning or Christmas Eve services, you hear this sermon, you hear these passages that are read. And as Chris mentioned last night, if you hear the Christmas Eve service, sometimes these really familiar passages that we read like in Luke 2 and 3 and 4 and such, we, we need to reread those and we need to really focus because sometimes they lose their meaning because we're so familiar with them. So I want to ask this morning, do you think this is a really easy sermon to preach? I think you all probably know what I'm going to talk about, but what I kind of want to make you think about as you're maybe still pondering that question is I don't think you came here just to hear that same sermon or similar sermon that you expect to hear on Christmas morning. I hope you're here because there is an attraction to Jesus, that there is an attraction to the Savior of the world that is so strong. I mean, this attraction, this thing that's drawing you to Him is so strong. It is so stinking wonderful that you couldn't be anywhere else this morning but to come here and to worship our Lord. Well, so is this an easy sermon to preach? No, it's not. And here's why. If we really stay true to what the Bible says, what the Bible has to say about the coming of God in the flesh, this, in my mind, this is the hardest thing in the world to try to comprehend. If we really look at the biblical accounts of how Jesus, how God came to take on flesh and enter into our world. If you really think about that, if you step back and you think about that, that is one of the hardest things in this world to try to wrap your head around. It's as close, I think, that we can get to something that is unbelievable. It's almost unbelievable. That's why, as we go through this, I want you to realize... That's why we rely on God. That's why I prayed just a moment ago that God's Holy Spirit would be here in such a way because without Him, we can't imagine it. We can't comprehend it. It is unbelievable to us, but it really happened. It is true. But we also give thanks this morning we think about something and we think about our faith, we think about believing in something, we need to give thanks that God doesn't require a thousand tons of faith. What does He require? He requires the faith of a mustard seed. He doesn't tell us how much faith we have to have. He tells us who our faith is to be in. 
Not how much faith we're to have, who we're to place our faith in. So this morning, I want you to see Christ. This morning, I want you to see Jesus in all His glory. And I want to pray that in the next few moments that the Spirit of God would draw you to Himself in such a way that you would see that you are free. If you notice in the bulletin, it says the gift of freedom. That's the, the title of this short little message. This is the gift of freedom. And I want you to see that you have been set free. That the God, the Creator of everything, everything we see, no exceptions, that He came into our world. But why? Why did He do it? There's a famous statue in London. Maybe you've, you, you know about this statue in London. And it's a very famous statue, and throughout the years, many people have come to look at this statue. You would hear about its beauty, its detail, this just wonderful piece of art. People would travel from all over the place to come see this statue. And they'd get there, and they would come to the foot of the statue and realize there was this great, big, tall, round granite tower. And the statue was way up at the top of the tower. People would travel, go out of their way, save up for months to be able to afford to travel to see the statue. And they would go and they would stand there and go, are you serious? And they would leave unsatisfied. This thing that they had built up in their minds, it was going to be the best thing they'd ever seen. They would get there, they couldn't even see it. So since what they've done, they've actually made a replica of the statue that's at the top. And they've placed this little replica of what's at the top of that granite tower. They've put it at the bottom. So that what you've come to see, you can actually see. Now, it's not the real thing, but at least you know what it is that off in the distance up there, you know what it is that you're looking for. You know what it is that deserves the praise for being such a great worship, uh, a great piece of art. Now, before you may have had an idea, had to use your imagination, but you really weren't sure what it is. Well, guess what? Your Father, my Father in heaven, has done this for us. He sent His Son into the world so that now we can more fully understand who it is that deserves our worship. He didn't leave us guessing. He didn't leave us wondering, what is it that deserves my worship? He has displayed it for us. He has given Himself to us and said, this is who deserves your worship. Jesus has dwelt with us. He has lived with us to display the love and the purpose of the Father. Now turn to, you are wondering when I was going to get to Isaiah 61, weren't you? Turn to Isaiah 61. I'm going to read verses 1 through 3. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty or freedom to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise 
instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified or that he may display his beauty. If you put your finger in Luke 4, flip real quickly over to Luke 4. Before we can really move on, we need to read this passage. Luke 4, verses 17 through 21. In the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, what we were just reading, the scroll of the prophet of Isaiah was given to him. It's given to Jesus. Jesus unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives in recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, verse 20. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue, they were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. See, the verses in Isaiah, they present for us, they give us a picture of a man who's anointed by God for the task of proclaiming the good news of the gospel. It speaks about the Messiah who was to come. This Messiah, the Savior, the Redeemer, the one who would save the world, will have, listen to this, listen to this list, he will have God's Spirit, he will preach the good news of the gospel, and he will proclaim liberty or announce the freedom granted by his willful submission to suffer and to die. For guess who? For sinners just like you and for sinners just like me. Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 3, is a foreshadowing. But here's what it's telling us. Isaiah 61 is saying, the roles, the roles that are going on, I'm going to flip the tables over. I'm going to reverse it. This is a foreshadowing of the reversal of the roles, if you will. Listen to the roles that are reversed. Listen to what happens. Mourners are what? Those who mourn are comforted. Liberty or freedom is given to who? Those who are held captive. Those who are bound have the prison doors flung open. It says gladness is granted. Gladness is given. Praise instead of a faint heart. Praise instead of a weak spirit. See, Jesus is the ultimate herald. Jesus is the ultimate proclaimer of the gospel that Isaiah 61 is talking about. Because Jesus is the gospel. Isaiah 61 is talking about sharing and spreading the good news of the gospel. Jesus Christ is the gospel. So when in verse 3 Isaiah says that to them will be given a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. He's talking about a, a crown. He's talking about us being given the status of royalty. We'll be given a crown instead of ashes, which are symbolic for 
deep, 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 deep sorrow. So, Jesus in the Luke 4 passage that I read is saying that it is him that we're talking about. He does all this. He reverses the roles. He came as a baby born in a manger. And as I mentioned earlier, as hard as that can be to imagine, it really happened. We have to let ourselves go there. That really did happen. But this miraculous birth happened so that, so that really, or in order that, you and I may be given this gift of freedom. So what is this gift of freedom? Well, I mentioned earlier about that famous statue in London that many people would travel and go out of their way to come visit. And they would leave unsatisfied because when they arrived, they couldn't even see the thing. They went so far out of the way. They were desiring so much to see, to know what it was. And they would get there. They left unsatisfied because they couldn't even see it. So they put a replica there to know what it is that you're actually looking at. God did not put a replica in the manger. That's the key for us this morning. God didn't decide to put a replica He didn't create something different that looks like or acts like or could be. God put Himself in the manger. In other words, what we've been desiring in our hearts, what we have a passion to know, what some of us would travel so far out of our way to know, to get you some idea, to get a glimpse, has been displayed for us. So you want to know? You want to see God? Have you ever done that? Maybe in a time of despair, out of desperation? You just want, to, you want God to speak to you. You want to know where He is. Well, guess what John chapter 12, verse 45 tells us? It says that whoever sees me, this is Jesus speaking here again, Jesus says, whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. God's Son came to reveal himself and to do what you and I could never do. So when you find yourself asking where God is, he's offering you something very, very special. When you start asking yourself where God is, my prayer for you this morning is that you find him in residence in your heart. That's what He's offering you. A relationship. A bond. A union through His Son. Jesus. He's offering you such a union with Him that it cannot be separated. You've been united to Christ if you've put your faith and trust in Him. Our hope, really our only hope, that we would ever have is in the coming of Christ. And that's what we celebrate this morning. That's what we've been celebrating since we ate our Thanksgiving turkey and then it was okay to listen to Christmas music. That's what we've been celebrating is the coming of our Lord. And He's offering us so much more than some replica, something that each of us could have a copy of. He's offering you Himself. 
Your only hope, only hope is to respond to the coming of Jesus with faith. Yes, faith is, as Hebrews 11 tells us, faith is, faith is what? What does Hebrews 11 tell us? It tells us that faith is believing. It's things hoped for. It's the assurance of things that, that you cannot see. So what he's calling us to do is have faith in him. But the God of the Bible is not some statue at the top of a tower. He's a living, breathing God who came down to us. 2,000 years ago, the eternal God, who has never not been. One of those other things I can't wrap my head around. He's never not been. He entered the womb of a young woman 2,000 years ago. And his human body grew for nine months. His mother gave birth to the Son of God who took on flesh and blood just like our flesh, just like our blood so that He could give it up for you and I. Now here's the thing. I'm going to end with this. That demands a response. It doesn't suggest that you respond to that. It demands a response. You have no choice. You have to respond to that. So I'll leave you with this. What is your response to that this morning. The greatest display of love that the world has ever seen. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, that's what you are. You're our Father. Lord, you love us. You have given us Yourself. We do ask the questions. We, in our sin, Lord, we wonder where You are when things happen to us, when things don't go just as we maybe would have planned it for ourselves, Lord, we find ourselves not trusting in You. But would You help us to realize that You are always in control, that You are always at work, that You have given us Yourself, that You have reversed the roles that those who mourn, those who are saddened, those who have deep sorrow, that you give us a quick spirit, that you give us a spirit filled with the love of Christ. So we thank you that you have completely flipped the tables over. Lord, we pray that you would draw us to yourself more and more every single day. Not just in the month of December, not just on Christmas Eve, not just on December 25th, but every single day on the calendar would we know that you have come to us, that we can know you, that we can't guess who you are. We can know you. We can have a relationship with you because you brought yourself to us that we may know you. We pray all of this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen.